and welcome to Eyewitness Beauty, the podcast where we talk about the biggest stories in the beauty industry each week. I'm Nick Axelrod-Welk. And I'm Annie Kriegbaum. Annie, what's up? Well, exciting week for me. Oh, yeah? Yes, I've gotten out of the apartment more than once. Uh, that's a big, big deal for you. So I had my poll worker training session on Tuesday. So I went down to like a government building in downtown Brooklyn, I think. You think it was downtown Brooklyn? Did you ever learn the different parts of the city while you lived here? Yeah. <laughs> downtown Brooklyn is like <laughs> it's been like, it's been Heights. like ten years, and I'm still figuring out like Brooklyn Queens. Never Do you been know, to Staten Island. Can you get out of the life. subway and know which way is north and which way is south and east and yeah, west? Yeah, of course. And I'm actually really okay. good at giving people directions, like when they ask. But like, I can even be like, "Oh, take the orange line to the da 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 da," you know. And then I like, you know, the stop orange line the street and like and like hit the hood of a taxi and say, yeah, "Hey, I'm walking, walking here." here. <laughs> <laughs> and then if anybody's mad at me, then then I'm like, "I just moved here from Texas." <laughs> Y'all are so great. Um. Sorry, what was I talking about? Poll worker training. Poll worker training. Okay, so it was a four-hour-long training session, which, bring a snack, anybody that has that coming up. And it's indoors, I'm assuming? Yeah, they had, um, it was a big room. There were, like, maybe 15 people. We each got our own, like, table, and they even had, like, plexi panels set up, which seemed, like, crazy ineffective. <laughs> but you had to have a mask on as well. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, And the teacher, everybody had a mask on, and, you know, there was a projector we had a huge manual i wish i had it here to like show you we got a ton of paperwork we had to learn like all the different positions of you know what the different poll worker tasks are that day very confusing i cannot believe that this is how democracy works so let me just tell you the craziest thing that i learned as a poll worker you can do something called challenge the voter you check them in in this like ipad you ask them their name, they verify their address, and then they sign like the oath to vote. And then you see their signature, and it needs to match the signature that they registered to vote with. I'm so none meaning of us- like the signature that's on their government like records or something on your iPad has to exactly. match the signature that they that they sign in front of you. Exactly. So the instructions that we got as poll workers from in my training session at least was you guys are not expert handwriting analysts. So just accept it pretty much, you know, unless yeah. it's like clearly this person is being fraudulent. And I think I would be able to know, like, don't challenge somebody based on their handwriting. If somebody is challenged for whatever reason, they have to vote with an affidavit to ballot and unclear to me exactly what happens with those. If they're counted or not, I would hope that they are. But when the results come in, I don't know. I just question the order that all this happens. Yeah. Um, but what I read in a news article this week was that mail in ballots in certain areas with a high percentage of um, black voters, they're being challenged based on how, quote unquote, black their name sounds and their votes are getting thrown out. So that's so fucked up. Yeah. Based on the signature issue. <sighs> you know, not to start things off on a on a on a sour note. But on a positive note, I plan to be a responsible and even keeled poll worker and everybody has the right to vote, and I will help everybody do that. And my look for the day is inspired by Sybil Shepherd's character, Betsy, in Taxi Driver. Did you ever see that movie? You mean your look for the day when you're a poll worker? Mm-hmm. Will, so you've already planned it. Yeah, I mean, this is like the most exciting day of the year for me. <laughs> yeah, I guess it is exciting. 
Um, uh, no, I ha- is that the, is she the baby prostitute? No, that's Jodie Foster. That's Jodie Foster. She and it's sex worker, by the way. Um, Sybil Shepard played De Niro's love interest at the beginning of the movie, and she worked for a politician in his like campaign office. You should watch the movie; it's so good. Okay, I will. Anyway, I'm happy that you're doing that. That's awesome. I mean, I applied to be a poll worker, but I never got a callback. I guess. <laughs> I also think it's because California is doing all mail-in ballots. We just got our ballots in the mail a few days ago, which everyone should have gotten in California. So I think that because so many people are voting by mail, that they're not, they don't need as many in-person poll workers, or they just didn't like the look of me. Yeah, they probably just... Probably a combination. They probably looked up your Instagram. Yeah, they're like, not this guy. He's going to be obnoxious. They're like, he just eats blueberries and... 0% Greek yogurt all day. Like, what is he? I know? made, speaking of blueberries and Greek yogurt, I made the most delicious concoction yesterday. Actually, when we were prepping for today's podcast, I was eating it on Zoom because I have no shame. It was, hear me out. You core and slice an apple and chop it up, put it with 0% or 2% yogurt. So, like 2% fat, milk fat, or 0% milk fat, Greek yogurt, like Siggy's is my favorite. Add half a packet of stevia. Hear me out. And I have no, a, no, no, no other option. <laughs> and a dash of cinnamon. And it tastes like fucking apple pie ice cream. It is so delicious. I can't wait to have it today. Okay. <laughs> it's like Banana Island where they'd be like, and for, for dessert, put a banana in the freezer and it's ice cream. And tomorrow, just eat at room temperature and it's just <laughs> like a steak. <laughs> Have we talked about Banana Island on this podcast? I don't think so. So No, we should. Banana Island was a diet fad probably at this point like eight years ago or nine years ago where I think it started in Australia, but it was promoted heavily on Instagram where people would basically for like 20 or 40 days eat just bananas (laughs) and like they would- Otherwise known as going to Banana Island. Yeah. So they would be like, I'm going to Banana Island for like 20 days or like 10 days or whatever. And they would eat like 40 fucking bananas a day. Do you think that like in their mind, you know, that scene from Hook, that 90s movie Hook, where all the like lost boys are sitting at the banquet table and they're imagining this huge feast of all these different like incredible foods? No. Nick, have you ever seen a movie before in your life? No. I don't anyway. have, I have ADD. I like can't focus on a movie really, unfortunately. Oh man. Okay. Um, let's get to our top stories. So this first story was an interesting one. It was in Business Insider, an expose on the gummy vitamin industry. It was a long article, but I'll kind of summarize it for you. Basically, the article was explaining that chewable vitamins are now the number one way that Americans age 35 and younger consume supplements. And uh, in 2018, Americans spent more than $32 billion on nutritional supplements, nearly $12 billion of which went to vitamins and minerals. So that's a huge market. And then chewable vitamins obviously being the biggest chunk for 35 and younger means that like basically everyone's like, infantilizing themselves or being infantilized and eating these like sort of like new version of Flintstone vitamins. But the issue with these Flintstone vitamins or the sugar yeah, bear don't, hair. Don't drag 
the Flintstones into the <laughs> The issue with these like sugar bear hair vitamins is that they average about three grams of sugar per gummy. So like they're actually just not Which that Which for good Nick for is like a week's worth. That's like a day. And there was actually a 2016 story in BuzzFeed News that said that most of the nutrients listed on a sugar bear hair bottle, which is the supplements that are promoted by the Kardashians famously, uh, were inaccurate by 20% or more. And another study in 2017 found that nearly half of all gummy vitamins have significantly more or significantly fewer nutrients than the label says they do. So basically like gumminess is like an unreliable vehicle for nutrients. And yet it's like the way that everyone is getting their vitamins because it's fun to eat. I mean, grow up. I like, I've been, (laughs) I, I told you I've been taking the ritual ones, which like taste minty and are, they are as playful as a vitamin can get without being a gummy, I think. Yeah, this is why I don't take vitamins. It's too difficult. Well, and also like any doctor will basically tell you that vitamin, like you pee them out. Yeah, You should get your vitamins from food. So here's a new, I guess, like label or piece of messaging that you will probably start hearing from more and more brands. It's called Stigma Free. And this week, Rare Beauty, which you might remember is Selena Gomez's color cosmetics line that just launched a couple of weeks ago announced that they are now a quote stigma free company what is that you ask well she actually selena has a linkedin which i found kind of funny because it's like obvious like that she's not updating her linkedin or like communicating she, on it do you think like recruiters are reaching out like that yeah. we have a great <laughs> <Being> like, job <laughs> would you be interested in being the creative director of uh whatever we have um, a cx position open in the tri-state area <laughs> It says, today in honor of Mental Illness Awareness Week and World Mental Health Day, I am so excited to announce that Rare Beauty is joining companies like Starbucks, Philosophy, Tumblr, and Google with our pledge to be a NAMI, which stands for the National Alliance on Mental Illness, hashtag stigma-free company. And basically, this is sort of continuing her mission and the company's mission to create a conversation about mental health address the widespread issue of chronic loneliness, make sure everyone has access to the resources they need to support their mental well-being, all of which is, are really great. Um, I actually reached out to the head of communications for Rare Beauty to kind of understand like, okay, it's great to say that you're a stigma-free company, but what does that actually mean in practice? And I got a quote from Elise Cohen, who is Rare Beauty's VP of Social Impact, And she said that at Rare Beauty, we are committed to ensuring that everyone has access to the resources they need to support their mental health and reducing the stigma associated with mental health. This means supporting the mental health of our community and our own employees. Taking the NAMI stigma-free pledge is one step in our internal journey. As a team, we are committed to learning the facts, changing the conversation, getting our leadership team involved in the process to identify the right actions unique to our own brand such as providing mental health first aid at work training to our team. So it sounds like there are a couple of like sort of training methodologies and, you know, curriculum. It means that they're going to adopt company wide to sort of learn about like how to handle mental health issues in the workplace, how to approach people who have mental health issues, how to sort of understand it, sensitivity training. They do offer mental health days along with sick days as part of like their employee policy. So I think that's like an interesting way that they are, you know, making good on this stigma-free promise. Ugh, that's so, I think more companies should do that because burnout is so real, especially at a, a startup at a new company Yeah, with like very eager young employees. I guess we haven't really examined why there is such overlap between 
the topic of mental health and like the beauty community and like the beauty industry. Like we do it on our podcast all the time. The only thing is to me a little hard is to like connect lipstick and mental health. Like I was looking on the rare beauty Instagram account and they have a new product launching and it, it's like a spark, like a holographic facet, like diamond faceted palette looking thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, the caption is something good is coming 10, nine. It's all about owning your confidence and staying true to who you are. Like I just bristle a little bit about like this idea that like a palette is going to help you own your confidence and be who you are. Like, I don't know if that is like a little complicated yeah. as a way to message, but you know what? The fact that they're like shouting this stuff on the rooftops means that more people are going to hopefully like get help that they need. In other news, last week, Governor Gavin Newsom of California signed Bill AB2762, which is a piece of legislation that will ban a total of 24 hazardous ingredients from being put in products by 2025. So this was considered like a big win for people like Greg Renfrew, who is the CEO of Beauty Counter. And if you guys use any Beauty Counter products or know about the brand, they're, one of their big missions is to you know work with the government and like to lobby legislators to ban some of these harmful ingredients in cosmetics and skincare. So this was like a big, a big win. The bill is actually called the Toxic Free Cosmetics Act. And from Assemblyman Al Marisushi, who is the one that introduced the bill, he's saying that they are known to cause cancer, reproductive harm, and hormone disruption. I think one of the interesting things about this article and this ban is uh, a little sort of side note in the release on Gavin Newsom's website that said, while all Californians are at risk of exposure, some populations are especially vulnerable, including children, communities of color, and pregnant women. A recent study conducted by the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences showed that black women who frequently dye their hair face a 60% increased risk of breast cancer. So a lot of the hazardous ingredients in beauty products that are being banned are ones that are used in dyes and straighteners and things like that that are overwhelmingly used in these communities and causing obviously all sorts of health repercussions. So I think, you know, it's a more complicated issue because as we learned with Mega from BuzzFeed last week, you take away the supply, but you don't necessarily take away the demand for these products. There's an organization called Black Women for Wellness, which has made it one of their missions to go after, and I think this is probably where the heart of the issue is, is like to go after the companies for marketing products that are potentially hazardous to these communities. So for example, they've been in constant communication with Johnson & Johnson over Johnson Johnson's refusal to remove talc baby powder from global markets, even though they're ending the U.S. sales. On the same note, you know, the issue with a lot of these toxic products is who they're marketing to and how much marketing dollars they've spent over how many years to these populations. So then to pull the products is not quite enough. There's there's also, I think, a responsibility that some of these corporations have to work with these educate. populations to figure out solutions, whether that's, yeah, to educate and not only to create healthier alternatives, but also to work with the populations to create change. So obviously it's a complicated issue and it's one that we want to continue to investigate in a future episode because 
not only are salon workers and nail techs at risk and vulnerable to these toxic chemicals, but obviously the populations that are marketed to are at risk of these issues and um, banning the chemicals outright is part of the solution, but not the only one. So we're going to, we're going to continue to think and investigate. So this is kind of going off our conversation last week around how Apple was an example of a company that is investing in recycled materials in a big way. They're actually, this week it was announced that they are suing uh, one of their recycling partners based in Canada called Geep, G-E-E-P, for reselling Apple products that they were hired to help disassemble and recycle. So they're not happy about this. I guess like my take is as long as the devices were cleared, at least the, they're getting reused. They're going back into the market. They're not being wasted. The more we learn about this and the more we talk about it, the more confused I get as to like what is the environmental solution. Like with diapers, it's like... It's re- about reducing. Reducing one's use of products in general. In consumption of products, yeah. But what happens if you love things and buying <laughs> things? preaching to the choir i don't i don't know buying things having things collecting things organizing those things reorganizing those things ordering more things to organize those things in i mean what else are we going to do with our time i don't know like when i used to live in new york and i would keep all my old magazines i was like i'm just literally like filling a box (laughs) with paper like I'm, i'm like a squirrel I'm like literally just like squirreling away paper in my fifth floor walk up in New York. Like for what reason? To then bring it down five years later when I move out of the apartment. I think my mom wanted to like kill her past self for having every single Martha Stewart Living magazine from like 1996 to like 2011. (laughs) That's amazing. There must be some like really fucked up shit in those magazines. Oh, definitely. I don't know. Martha... Martha's an interesting character. I don't, yeah, whatever. What? It's fine. What? She, there was an article in the New York Times a few weeks ago where she like kind of refused to endorse a candidate, a presidential candidate, if I'm remembering correctly, and I didn't like that. Why do people act like all like rich, famous people are liberal and or even democratic? I like her, but here's what she said in the New York Times article. You know, I have a magazine. My personal conundrum is my friends know who I am and what I stand for. But in terms of being the owner of the magazine, how do you take sides when 50% of your readers might be on one side and 50% on the other? It's difficult. That's my answer to that. And I think that's like kind of a a shitty answer because it like she doesn't want to fuck up her business. The 20,000 people that are still getting Martha Stewart Living magazine. (laughs) I don't know. If that, I mean, come on. But like she also has like pots and pans and dishes and soap and reduce 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 i know our guest is none other than mario dedovanovic who is better known as makeup by mario he is probably most famously the makeup artist who i want to say crafted kim kardashian during the time where she i think transitioned from being this like reality novelty, like goofy character to like, oh, she's like got good style and she looks really good. Like that was yeah. him, right? Yeah, and he's and he's known for this like soft glam look. And, you know, obviously it's oft imitated, but never 
duplicated. So of course he's done makeup for Kim Kardashian, but also for Chanel Iman, for Chrissy Teigen, for Kate Bosworth, a lot of big people. He does red carpet, but also day-to-day glam. But he, and why we talked to him, launched his own makeup collection at Sephora last week called Makeup by Mario. And he is a really interesting guy because he really, he not only does he take his craft seriously, he approaches makeup and the face and sort of transforming the face. I mean, to me, it reminded me a lot of like Kevin Aquan, who was a famous makeup artist in the 90s who did all the big supermodels, but who really was an artist and respected for his craft and a look he did, which was not unlike Mario's, you know, very contoured and glamorous. You know, he died quite a while ago, but he's still kind of an icon and a legend. Mario is 37 years old. He bootstrapped this business, this color cosmetics business himself. And we talked to him about his masterclass, which is the uh, series of live makeup demonstrations that he does or that he did before the pandemic across the country. Obviously, the collection for Sephora and where he plans to take his brand. So this is our interview. Is today launch day? Launch day was October 1st on Thursday. How did how did it go? It went well. That was a really surreal day for me. Um, like to see the, to go into store and see it for the first time. Cause I think it hadn't felt really real until that moment. Because when you're developing and you're, you're working on something for so long, you don't see it as a whole. You kind of treat everything like these little babies of yours and you put like so much work into them and you see them coming to life. But then to see it spread out like that into the store was just, I just kind of went numb because I was just like, you saw the final thing and it was like, I was like, whoa, like I have a brand. It was really weird. It was really surreal for me, but amazing. I don't know if you've had had this experience, but like when I created the brand that I worked on, I like somehow only felt that my mom was like the one person who used it. Like it was really hard for me to understand that, like, even though like I knew it was popular, I knew other people did, but like at the end of the day, I was like, really just, I'm kind of making this for my mom, but she's the one who gives me like direct feedback. Like I like the lotion or like, you know, whatever. Did you always sort of realize that you were making it for like all these people or did you kind of feel like you were sort of just making it for yourself? Not for myself, a combination of both. Like I really, yeah, I think even too much. I, I, I think so much about other people and all types of people, non-artists, artists, different ethnicities, different skill levels, um, just the average everyday girl at home. And then of course myself as well. So yeah, I, I did sort of think about all of that uh, very intensely. And then especially like, because I'm an artist and because I do mostly work, you know, on red carpet and photo shoots and stuff, I spent a lot of time sitting down, just fascinated by how the non-artist does her makeup and what's in her makeup bag and what she's doing and like how I could take that experience and help, you know, help make it a little more smart or, you know, help make it a little faster, a little cleaner. So I spent a lot of time doing that, but then seeing it now on social media and seeing it on YouTube, all of the people that are using it, all different types of people, it's, it, again, it's very surreal because I'm learning a lot from them too now because everyone uses it quite differently. You know, they have their own styles and their own sort of ways that they use it. And and it's so awesome to see. It like, gives me chills because I love it. I, I love to, to learn from them as well. You know, they learn from me and then I'm learning from them. You said that you liked the idea of sort of being able to look at someone's makeup bag and kind of like hack it, like make it smarter, or make certain things faster. Like how does some of the products that you created do that? 
Yeah. So like I noticed like one example would be like with pencils, eyeliner pencils. I noticed that like, especially with my sister, you know, I knew that my sister's eyeliner was kind of always crooked, but I just never <laughs> time to like sit down with her and see how she's actually applying it or why it is. And then I noticed that that was sort of a trend that a lot of girls struggle with eyeliner, like with getting it symmetrical. And me as an artist, it's like my, one of my main things is creating symmetry, you know? And so when I, I started to notice how they're doing their eyeliner and, and so then I created the liner sort of uh, to condense my technique, which consists of sort of doing the line and taking another brush, blending it softly, shaping the wing and getting it perfect. And so I put that into one pencil, for example, like so that it's easier for my sister and for girls like my sister. And then for artists alike, because artists, you know, it's a lot faster. It makes the process a lot faster for artists as well. And so the feedback for that has been amazing because it's it's making it easier and it's also inspiring people a little bit like to now kind of you know do their eyeliner in this different way that I do it and then you know for example with the matte eyeshadows I noticed that you know people have become really used to these ultra pigmented like explosion of pigment in, in their matte eyeshadows and because that was a trend for many years and me personally I don't love eyeshadows like that because it's too much like I don't want to put it on and then like have to work to remove it yeah it's so weird I noticed that pigmentation became like a signal for quality for a lot of people. And that's not really always the case. Yeah, because it kind of, uh, you know, it makes it also a lot more messier with tons of fallout. And that's another thing that I'm very particular about. I don't like a lot of fallout. And so I made mine with a formula that was a little bit more translucent. That's sort of like foolproof. You know, you just kind of swipe it on the eyes and you don't have to worry about like, oh my God, it's too much. You know what I mean? You, you could build it easily, but also it's not falling off and it's not sort of, you know, getting all crumbly in the pan. So that was another thing I, I worked on, like just to make it uh, more easy for the everyday consumer. But yeah, pretty much everything is inspired by my techniques and then also considering how the everyday user is going to use it as well. So you bootstrapped the brand completely, right? So you didn't take any outside investment? Yeah, um, a little bit from a family member, but I didn't take any from the big investors that you know, there was like a process where I needed a little bit of a help because, you know, when you're going into, yeah. <laughs> you're going into hundreds of stores and stuff like that, it's like, it, it's insane the amount of money that it takes. Um, so there was a process where, you know, there were people coming forward wanting to come in and invest and I was meeting different people and, and I was struggling with that because I never thought about that. I always wanted to start small and do it on my own just so I can sort of realize my dream and exactly the way that I wanted to do it. And I knew from the very beginning of the process of meeting with these investors and, and when the talks and negotiations began, I just had a pit in my stomach because already I was seeing that I felt that, uh, that they might, uh, how to say it nicely. I mean, that, they, that maybe my infrastructure and my philosophies and everything might, might begin to be tainted a bit because of what the things that they were asking for and wanting. And, and so I, I've, I kind of fought against that and, and I, I was like, no, I don't want to do this. I want to do this on my own. And so, yeah, you know, that's I, I, so smart. <laughs> like yeah. I have like a smile from ear to ear right now, because I think that so many people look at raising money, particularly from like venture capitalists as this, like the Harvard of startups, right. Or like the Harvard of building your business is like getting this, this blue chip venture capital money. But the reality of it is so much different. And that pit in your stomach that you had about sort of someone else being, really in control of your vision and in control, not I I even in control, but sort or of just like a whispering in your ear along the way. Exactly. It's, yeah. That's such a distraction. Yeah. I mean, they were talking about like board seats and board. And I'm just like, no, there is no board right now. Like I'm the board, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, I'm like, you know, you know, that stuff might happen obviously down the line. Um, but for the very beginning, it was important for me 
to build this in exactly the way that I wanted to with like a lot of like positive love and energy and and to try to you know make my vision come to life without any distractions or people sort of telling me what to do and what not to do and I just like to follow my gut and my heart because I feel like that always leads me in the really in, in, the, in the right direction. So given that you were bootstrapped essentially how many team members, like how many people did you have working on this? And, and I asked that question to get it. Who are you testing all these products on? Because I'm assuming you're not just uh, a makeup um, canvas yourself. I was testing products on everyone, like my friends, the employees here in the office, my team members, and then on myself as well. You know, I test everything on myself as well. And then throughout, like when I first went to the lab in March of 2017, I literally went by myself. I had no clue about anything, but I wanted to begin learning because I knew that, you know, my 20th year was approaching and I knew that it would take me a while to learn everything. And so I began getting lab samples in March of 2017. And that's when I began everything. And extremely secretive and i didn't even like show my, my family with the full collection or my clients or anyone so like i would have everything in my kit but no one knew because they'd be sort of in those little containers and things like that so no one really knew what i was doing but i would be using them and testing them and 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 so no one had any idea what i was using on them but yeah i did i did test it i did test it quite a bit how big is your team right now it's growing fast right now i think we have right now in the office about 15 or 16 people and then as well as, you know, like all the vendors and freelancers and uh, consultants and all that stuff. So it is quite a big team. That part is really surreal too, because I don't, you don't realize as you're going and as it's growing, you, you're just focused and you're just working really hard. And then sometimes I, you know, I have my own little tiny office space in here and, and I look through the windows and I'm just like, what is happening? Like, like, like who are all these people? Like, how did this happen? You know what I mean? But You're in New York. Yeah, you're in New York. You know, quarantine, during the whole quarantine, it was uh, difficult because I couldn't come into the office, obviously, and we had to start all working via Zoom. And then for me, the product development part was that was a challenge for me because I need to spread everything out and, and have like a little lab, you know. And so I did that in my kitchen for a while. And then I packed everything up and I, and I came by myself into the office, like, in the, you know, in the middle of quarantine and sort of spread everything out here and so everything worked out really really well but initially it was just me and um my two assistants my executive assistant my personal assistant and then it was alicia valencia who is my global brand uh, the global brand president and she sort of you know she took everything and sort of made it happen and, and started putting everything in place and hiring everyone and you know the stuff that i really didn't know how to do because like when you're a makeup artist too the the interesting thing is like a lot of makeup artists end up having their own brands, but makeup artists by definition are like independent contract, you know, like you're a no boss kind of person, right? And so to then have to be this, the head of something and to have employees and to manage people and to worry about gondolas and merchandising and all that sort of stuff is like, is a totally different skill set. Yeah. But, you know, I waited until, you know, I waited until I was 37 to do it. And so thank God, because honestly, like when I, when I began getting offers from the conglomerates and all these different investors and these companies, like starting even 10 years ago, it was always sort of just like, no way, like there was no chance. I remember when I would get these like business plans and these things. And I remember my, one of the first times that I had an offer to do this, my agent was pushing me and I was in my early twenties, maybe 24, 25. And I just remember looking at the, this business plan and just thinking it was a joke. I'm like, who am I to go and start all of this? And, and who are you guys like to be planning all this for me? Like, and so I just, I was realistic in, in that, in that sense, in that I, I, I felt and I knew when I wasn't ready and I, and I know what I don't know and I know what I know. 
And so as I got older and, you know, I, I sort of expanded on the masterclass business. And so I had a little experience there with business and, and how to grow business and allocating things to certain team members. And, and, you know, I knew that I couldn't do this alone. And I know that even more as we go along, like there is stuff that, you know, there's certain areas of the business that I have, I sit down and I ask them to teach me and to take me through everything. So I know what everyone is doing. And so I learn because I love to learn. But, you know, I have so much respect for everyone on the team because they all do things that I cannot do. And I learn from them so much. And I always look at them as like smarter than I am. And I take my time to sit down with everyone and to, and, and to have them teach me everything because this is a big step for me. And this is overwhelming, really is overwhelming and very different from just being a makeup artist. But I feel ready, you know, I feel ready because I, I sort of planned it and, and, and manifested it for 20 years. So on that point, I mean, the beauty industry has expanded so much over that time. And it seems like everybody has a makeup line. Did you kind of have like blinders on this entire time as you were developing this? Or were you being affected by seeing, you know, the huge boom and kind of this like idea of like fast color cosmetics that's been happening? You know, what's so crazy is that like, especially the five years ago, I want to say everyone started pressuring me like, you're so crazy. Like, what are you doing? Like, you need to do it now. The bubble's going to burst. The bubble's going to burst. And like, in my, I get chills when I even every time I think about it because I never cared. Like, for me, this wasn't about launching in the midst of like, you know, this, this massive boom in cosmetics because, you know, you're going to make the most money. Like, this is for me, like my long term plan and goal. Like, I wanted to create something that's going to be around for years after on around. And so for me, like, I almost want to say that I almost kind of wish that the bubble burst and then I can come out with my line. You know, the timing sort of the way it landed right now. It's just how it happened naturally. And so really that had no effect on me in terms of what was happening in the industry and what was going on. I just wanted to, because if I let that affect me, then that would have affected my process and what I was releasing and why I was releasing everything and my plans for what comes next. So yeah, I didn't really care about that, to be honest with you. Well, skincare has taken over as the largest category. So I think it's an interesting time that a line like yours is coming out kind of, especially in the pandemic, people are slowing down and paying more attention maybe to technique, which is kind of what you're all about with the masterclass. And even in your line, I see your packaging is developed in such a way that allows for like, you know, blending on like a clean surface and has like a mixing medium. So I wonder if like there will be a shift slightly to more like artistry and technique rather than this like intense color payoff or this like, I don't know, glitter explosion that's happening. We'll see. I mean, I'm just excited because I, you know, as I release everything, I, I'm very sort of controlling in the sense that I don't really care what everyone else is doing and how they're releasing and how they're launching things. Like for me, I just wanted to release everything one by one and really do education behind it and show everyone like what it's about, what it's inspired by, because these are not just products. They really have like deep inspiration and philosophies that are behind them and why I created them, and then also how to use them. And, and so my whole entire career, I, I haven't had a YouTube, I haven't really done videos aside from like two or three minute little videos for brands and things like that. But I had the masterclass. And so I realized that, you know, I don't know how many students I've had around 35,000 students, you know, in the masterclass. And, and those are really the only people that have truly seen me work and truly understand everything and, and how I work. And so I think with this brand, I'm excited because I'm able to now sort of focus on the education aspect of it. And now for the first time showing everyone, not just my students, but also showing everyone my techniques and how I do things and sort of doing it in a really simple way because, you know, master classes seven or eight hours. 
it could be quite intense with a non-artist. And so with this, it's like I can sort of take little chunks of that, like a minute and two minutes and sort of focus on that and teach them little certain techniques and how to sort of elevate their artistry or just elevate their, you know, their experience of doing their makeup. So for, for those who don't know what the masterclass is, it is a basically a performance in which you paint a model's face and people who are mostly aspiring makeup artists will watch and sort of take notes on how you're doing it and the sort of like little words of wisdom you you give along the way, correct? Yeah, it's like a stream of consciousness. So I basically just take them through my head and as I'm working and moving my hands, I'm explaining to them what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And so, you know, I think that helps a lot um, artists around the world and aspiring artists or artists at different levels just to see how someone else approaches makeup because it's extremely different than what you're used to seeing, let's say on YouTube, right? Everything is edited on YouTube. Everything is sort of shortened, edited. And, but the masterclass is sort of, it's non-edited. And so you're seeing everything live on this massive screen and you're, you're hearing me talk and explain every single thing that I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And so I think, um, you know, the career of a makeup artist has become very popular in the last like 10 years. And there's so many makeup artists now around the world. And, you know, not everyone has the opportunity to, you know, like I did when I was young to assist industry greats and icons in the industry and to be on the sets with like major, you know, fashion campaigns and beauty campaigns and to learn from all these icons in the makeup industry. And so they really don't have that opportunity to learn and to elevate their work and to understand like uh, aesthetic and taste level and how to edit oneself and how, you know, all those types of things. And so that experience, the masterclass, like it, it kind of opens up their, their mind and they kind of see through another artist's perspective on, on how I work and how I get things to look super clean. And I, I spend a lot of time, especially in the last few years, teaching them about editing themselves and sort of, you know, with contour, for example, you know, they're always shocked because they're like, oh my God, we thought you did like crazy, like heavy contour. And it's like, no, my contour is actually extremely natural. You know what I mean? And so I always start out when I'm discussing contour, like more important to know when not to contour than to know how to contour. Let's start out like that way. And then I go in and I show them when they shouldn't contour, why they shouldn't contour, you know, and things like that. It's very helpful to them and it, it refines their work and their clients look better and and they're smarter. They become a little smarter. It's interesting. Like hearing, even hearing you talk, I feel like what you're promoting is makeup as art. And I feel like maybe the bubble that we had been in was this idea of makeup as entertainment where it was like all these influencer brands and it's like crazy colors and it's you know, RuPaul's Drag Race people, makeup brands and like all this stuff. And there's room for all Before of that. But it's Yeah, but it's this idea of like really kind of like narrative content to your point, like shortening and condensing the parts that actually take the longer amount of time because they're not as fun to watch on YouTube. Um, yeah. And what you're really talking about, because you keep on saying art and artistry is, is really about like a technique and learning from someone and, and sort of like honing a skill. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so much more for me, like then, you know, and I, and don't get me wrong. I, I enjoy all of that stuff. I love, love, love YouTubers and influencers and all that type of makeup artistry. Like I'm so I'm for it all because I, it's fun to me. It's makeup. It's like, you should, it should be fun, you know, and it's also entertaining. I enjoy watching all that stuff too, but I'm just different in, in, in how I approach it. It's a career for me. And, and I spend a lot of time and thought and sort of, you know, and, and the way that I approach a face is very sort of different. I like to manipulate things and I'm, I'm a builder. Like I like to build things and to change things and to, and I, and I focus on sort of symmetry and the spacing between features and, you know, all that type of stuff. And so that's how I approach everything. You know, that's really interesting to me. It's sort of like how even people like Max Factor and, and those sort of artists back in the day in the Golden Ever Hollywood, that's how it was. You know what I mean? But people just were not 
aware of it or exposed to that. They had no idea. You know, they just thought that these glamazons were glamazons. You know what I mean? Without understanding sort of the artistry um, and the skill level behind the hair and the makeup and the lighting, and the photography and the the tricks. So to that point about tricks, you mentioned symmetry a couple times, and I think that's interesting because say someone doesn't feel they're symmetrical. Can you can one achieve symmetry, or is it something you're born with? What do you mean? Like, is it something you're born with in terms of the being able to to do it or having it? Uh, like the the look of symmetry. So, like, if, if oh. we're if we're trying to sort of with makeup achieve a symmetrical look, and you know, because I'm not. Yes, it's like getting the eyeliner the same on both sides, but it's also this idea of like the eyes looking the same size, like the nose, the bridge looking. You know, like yeah, I don't think that everyone should. Um, I don't think that everyone should even care about that stuff. Obviously, like I don't think that every the everyday girl at home should be sitting in front of her mirror like I need to make my face symmetrical today. You know what I mean? It's more like. As an artist, that's what I do when I'm working. You know, I get paid to do makeup. And so that's how I approach makeup. Um, but I think one example is, you know, with eyes, for example, or eyebrows or, or just with eyes. Like sometimes there's one eye that has a little more, more lid space than the other. And so when you do an eyeliner, it makes it look even less symmetrical than it actually does. And so there's like little things you can do that fixes that on the eyelid that's smaller you would you know there's little tricks you can do with eyeliner like going thinner on that eye on that eyelid than the other eyelid or going in the eye on that eyelid and so i think i notice and i see that when sort of the non well for artists as well they they sort of love those tips and tricks too because it like you know that has an effect when you're working and you're doing makeup and you're like why doesn't this look you know symmetrical why doesn't it look even but then for the non-artist too it inspires them because it's like oh my god thank you like duh i never thought of that you know what i mean and so any little thing like that, that, that you do, and it makes you feel good and makes you feel better and you feel smarter because you, you learn something new. Like that to me is really cool. And I, I want to show people those things. Like why, you know, why keep it to myself? You know what I mean? So I want to, I want to show people those things. Um, so they learn new tricks and techniques and, and it's not uh, for them to, to think or feel that, Oh, I, this is the only way that I should do it from now on in. Like, no, you know, you, you do your makeup mm-hmm. art, you want to do it. But let's say you're going somewhere special one night or you want to take photos or, you know what I mean? You know it, you have that sort of knowledge and you can, and you can do that and you can experiment and be sort of a little bit smarter. And when I say smarter, I mean sort of just in the way that a makeup artist would, uh, would approach doing it. But yeah, you know, I think all those things are sort of fun and inspiring. And when I learned those things coming up in, in my career, like, oh my God, it was fascinating to me. I loved it. Like that was the part that I loved the most about makeup was you know, it wasn't just the sort of colors and pigments and things, but it was sort of what you can do with them and how you can create beauty with them. And I do that in all areas of my life, whether it's like interior design or whether it's, you know, my home, anything, my garden, I like to sort of make things more beautiful and I like to manipulate things and because it's inspiring. Can we geek out on your formulas for a second? Yeah. (laughs) What was your favorite thing to develop and what was your most difficult thing to develop? Um, Okay, so my favorite thing... Um, it's hard to choose a favorite because they're all like my little babies, but my two favorites, I would say, and like the core, the two core, like, um, palettes of the brand are the master metals and the, the master mats. I don't know if I should tell the whole story, uh, but tell it, tell (laughs) it. This process was, was quite intense in that, you know, when you're an artist, I'm sort of a little bit uh, disorganized, like as a person you know what I mean like I need help sort of with organization there's so many things that I like and so many things that I do and so when it came time for me to begin starting this I'm like where do I start and so I began to break down what I do because when you work you don't really watch yourself and you don't really know you just innately grab things you know unconsciously and so I began to look at footage of myself at the master class I have like 
these drawers full of like hard drives of this hours and hours of footage of myself working at the masterclass. And I started to look hesitantly because I don't like watching myself work, but I started to look to see like what it was that I was doing. If I was consistently doing it on everyone, what are the colors that I'm doing, the techniques exactly that I'm doing? And I started to realize that every time I picked up a brush and did something, I'm like, that's something I created, like just my own to make it sort of work for what I was trying to achieve. And so I started to sort of like single those things out. And then when it came to, you know, I start makeup with the eyes, I start with brows and eyes. And so then I knew I was like, all right, I'm going to start my collection with eyes in the, in the order that I do a face. And so, well, what colors do I come out with? What textures do I come out with? And so I started to notice like in the beginning, when I first do makeup, I do this thing where I take a concealer palette full of varying degrees of like foundations or concealer, like shades. And I sort of put that on the eyes first. And my students always like, why are you putting like a brown concealer on, on her eye? You know what I mean? But that's how I sort of start shaping and contouring the eye. Sometimes I leave it like that because it looks very skin-like and natural because I don't want to add uh, powders and shadows over it. And sometimes I add powders and shadows over it, but very little bit because you don't need to put a lot after you've done that. And so I was like, hmm, that's interesting. I'm using uh, skin tones on all on all skin tones. I'm using different skin tones to sort of highlight their eyes, contour their eyes. And so that's when I began delving deep into skin tones and not just like skin tones, but like the evolution of skin tone and why we have skin and why do we have varying degrees of skin tones. And so, um, you know, I'll spare you on that because I could be here for three hours talking about it, but it's it's freaking fascinating. And so that's how sort of my master mats palette began, like the development of this is sort of like the evolution of skin tone from dark to light, you know, and we basically like to sum it all up, it is the, you know, our skin tone is a result of UV rays, you know, and sort of through evolution, our skin tones change and develop to protect us. And so I just think the story of it is beautiful. And I think that the colors are so beautiful. Like skin tone is just so stunning, the undertones and the translucency that it has. And so I developed the palette based on that. And then I began, you know, I was looking initially because I love mother nature. I love earth and I love everything. The way that mother nature sort of creates colors and creates beauty is just obviously like there's no artist that can ever compare. And so I'm fascinated by that and how, but not just looking at it and saying it's pretty, but like, well, how did that happen? Like, what is, you know, what happened for that to occur? And with the skin tone thing, I was like, all right, this is really cool. I'm loving this. Like, it's so me because it, it's exactly what I do when I start doing makeup. It's like, I'm using these gorgeous skin tones. And then I was like, well, I want to create a universal shimmer texture for us, right? That's going to really be truly universal because as you guys know, I work on all different types of clients and, you know, I'm sort of known for being able to work on Indian and black and white and Asian, anyone, give me anyone and I'll be able to do it. And so I wanted to create something completely universal. And I'm like, well, how, is that, how am I going to create something universal? What do we all have that's in common? What one thing do we have that is exactly the same as a human race? And then I started looking inside because our insides are completely all the same. And so that experience really blew me away because when you begin to look inside of the human body on a microscopic level, on a cellular level, what you see is this gorgeous sort of arrangement of colors. We don't have that many colors within us. It's mostly fleshes and pinks and reds. But when you start to look on a cellular level at, you know, what eventually becomes our organs, these are the colors. And so it was just so stunning to me. This whole process. And you're holding up, what's the name of that palette? Oh, this is the Master Metallics. And so what's also really beautiful, you see those little shimmers and things like that's like just, you know, when I look at those, it's almost kind of that's how sort of the little cells, the billions of cells look within the body. And then they kind of all form together and to basically create life for us. Right. And so 
this experience, especially with, with researching um, all of this stuff, was really eye-opening to me because I, you know, as a as a child and as a young teenager and even into my 20s, I struggled because I come from an Albanian immigrant family, grew up my whole life really suppressed, really holding my feelings and my creativity and, you know, thinking that I'll never be able to be openly gay as I was born. And somehow this experience awakened me and I had the courage then last year uh, in November to come out publicly for the first time, which I thought, you know, no one in my culture has ever done that. You know, within the millions of Albanian people in the world, no one has ever come out publicly because it's just something in our culture that we do not do. And somehow the development of this line and in particular these two products just gave me the courage to do that. When I truly understood who we were as a human race and what our purpose is, and I strip us of all of our things, culture, of our material things, of our socioeconomic status. I strip everything away from us to see who we were. And I had this awakening and it sort of really changed my life. I think that's the most convincing thing I've ever heard about a palette ever. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's kind of it's crazy, but, but like it, it truly is how it developed. You've been a makeup artist, as you said, for 20 years. Are there any products that you attempted to make or didn't even think to make because the perfect version of it already exists? Is there one thing where you're like, I just don't need to make this because like it exists? No, I don't really work like that. So it's very strange how I work. You know, there's some artists that know names by heart, like, oh, give me the E542 from Mac or give me the, like, I have no idea what anything's name is because everything is just in the palettes and that they're, they're just pigments and colors for me. And in my head, I know what it is and I go to grab it. I couldn't tell you really the names or brands of things, even things that I use for so many years. And so when I started the process, I really didn't look at all left and right. It has no significance to me because I think that's when I start to get confused. And like, if I start looking at numbers and start looking at, you know, what does well in the industry, what doesn't, like that's going to affect what I'm trying to do. And it's not going to be like an authentic product that's coming from me. So I think a lot of this stuff probably exists in some form or another, you know, like black pencils and, and brown pencils, but I sort of gave them my little twist and created them to fit with my technique and to make my technique easier and hopefully others as well. But, you know, I, I could have come out with, you know, palettes that were, had the, you know, products joined together, like most other palettes do. And I would have probably done even bigger numbers because, you know, that's what people are used to. But for me, that wasn't about that. For me, it was about separating the textures and making a smaller palette, you know, a lot smaller than we're used to seeing so that it fits in the palm of your hand. And so that when you start doing your makeup, you know, you sort of go in with an open mind. I didn't want the brand and I didn't want the collection and particularly the brand to be associated with a specific look or aesthetic, because that I noticed that there's a thing in the industry where it's like everything is very associated with an aesthetic or look. And I didn't want this, this brand and the collection to have that association because in my mind, it's for everyone. It's for all colors. It's for all ages. And so for me, with the with the two palettes, for example, you know, this doesn't dictate what you should do. You sort of, you look at it with an open mind. These are universal products. I can dip into whatever I want in here and do whatever the hell I want and see what happens. And then maybe the next day I dip into something else. Whereas with the one singular palette, which, you know, are very popular, it dictates sort of the aesthetic that you should do. And, and so I didn't want this, you know, in the future, I'll do stuff like that for sure. But for the beginning, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to separate things by texture to keep it clean and organized. And in the way that I was trained in the beginning 20 years ago, makeup artists always separated everything by texture. So you had the bag of creams, you had the bag of metallics, the bag of metals, the bag of masks, the bag of powders. And so I wanted to separate and organize everything in that way. So to answer your question, um, no, I didn't. Really. <laughs> Probably your most famous client is Kim Kardashian. 
your look, that soft glam, soft contour look is sort of like what your name is synonymous with, what her sort of image is synonymous with, and what scores of other celebrities and like normal people alike have wanted to achieve for quite a few years. Is there a look or an aesthetic that you're seeing or that you're becoming excited about that's like you're seeing come into style? Yeah. And I like, I know I'm very associated with a certain sort of aesthetic and glam makeup, which I love, obviously. But I also love all other types of makeup. I don't get to do them as much as I would like. You know what I mean? Because I think in the industry, especially in the celebrity makeup artist industry, you know, there's certain artists that are really good at doing certain, uh, not everyone can do glam makeup, like a Kim K makeup or JLo type of makeup. It's a certain kind of artist that, that has the skill level to do that in the aesthetic. And some don't. And so, you know, obviously I get, I get hired by most of those types of women, right? Like the Ariana Grande's and the Demi Lovato's and the Kim K's and the JLo's and because they like that type of makeup. But then I also get to do other types of makeup too, like on Kate Bosworth and Naomi Harris and Oscars and Globes and all that other stuff. I'm not known so much for that, but I, I just as much enjoy that as I do the more glam stuff, right? As far as like industry-wide aesthetic and stuff, yeah, I'm so excited for like quick, fast, easy, like, you know, kind of removing some layers, removing some powder, removing some, you know, and, and I try to incorporate that within this stuff too. And I made products that are you know, like the master secret glow, just dewy, clear, like, and, I, and I'm telling people like, you don't have to put anything on, just put that on your lips and leave, put that on your cheeks and go, put that on your eyes and go, it's translucent, you can see your human skin through it, like, that's good, you know, these things like the master crystal reflector, it's meant to be just used with your finger and swipe on the eye, it's sheer, you see through it, it gives you an instant little bit of sparkle, but you don't have to worry about precision and being perfect. And you know what I mean? So I'm excited because I can feel innately in my gut that that's coming and that's going to become more prominent, you know, this sort of past every day. And I love that because I think it's important, especially for the younger generation to not have that pressure of feeling that they have to do this, you know, crazy routine, you know, when they're not makeup artists, like you, you shouldn't have to do that routine unless you're getting paid to really. And so I'm excited for that. And I'm excited to see that and to see it's just a, it's a, it's a breath of fresh air. You know what I mean? So yeah, I, I see that happening in the industry. And I'm excited for that. But that being said, I think that we're still going to always have our glam girls and we're still going to have, you know, now that everyone knows all the tricks of the trade, you know, it's not, they're not going anywhere. They're going to continue using them and there will be some that do and some that don't. And that's the beauty of it all. You know, not everyone should do the same thing. So what's next for Makeup by Mario, the brand? Uh, I mean, I know you launched four days ago, Yeah, (laughs) but Sephora has made you look forward. So I'm going to make you look forward. (laughs) Um, so many things. I am working on so many things simultaneously. And I'm also learning a lot during this process. I think the way it typically works, uh, according to you know my executives here and, and, and my, my product developers, is that people tend to work on one thing at a time and that takes X amount of months to do it. And But I can't work like that. And so I begin working on lots of different things that I want for the future simultaneously. And if something is, is ready when it is, because uh, I, I, I do tend to take a uh, until things are ready, if they're ready, then you know we'll put them together and we'll launch them. But if not, we're not going to launch them because retail, you know, tells us to. But we, we'll launch then something else in a place that is ready. But I am working on lots of different you know categories on the face. I'm working on eyes. I'm working on complexion, lips, brows. You name it. I don't know exactly when they will be ready, but there is lots of coming. A full blown sort of line and a full blown core line, which I'm really excited about. You know, as an artist, I have. 
again, so many different things that I like, like when it comes to foundations, I like my really natural glowy liquid foundations and I like my more full coverage cream foundations. And so I'm just excited because I'm going to eventually be able to sort of do all of that stuff and, and have it to use with my own brand in the way that I use it on set. What skincare do you use personally? Because your skin is really good. Um, I change it up every now and then. Right now, I actually, for cleanser, I just use my Cetaphil Gentle Cleanser. I use that for years. My dermatologists always have me use that. They must be getting paid. Dermatologists <laughs> always recommend Cetaphil. They must be getting paid. No, I think it just really works, man. I think it works. Like it doesn't, I just never have issues with it. Um, I do incorporate sometimes other cleansers and things. And I notice reactions on my skin. It doesn't feel the same. For moisturizer, I use this, uh, I think it's called Replenix, R-E, yeah, something like that. It's like these little pads and then this moisturizer and then like this serum. Sometimes I use the Augustinus Bader, like if I feel really dry and if I want to sort of just have like a nice rich glow, but I change it up. I use a lot of like drugstore stuff too. Some of it's my favorite stuff. And, but yeah, I'm not the type of person that takes a lot of time. I wish I took more time to, to sort of take care of my own skin. But I don't, I don't, I don't really, I'm sort of like a man in that sense. And like the a typical like guy in that I don't like spend a lot of time on, on, on my own sort of self care. What about sunscreen? Mm, I don't, I don't, I don't use sunscreen that much. I know it's so bad. Um, I, sometimes I do, there's a Neutrogena one that I do, but I just don't, I just do my little quick routine and I go, I like my vitamin D. I like to get a little bit of color. I can, <laughs> is that really bad? I mean, like I won't tell anyone. Yeah, don't put that on there. <laughs> As a makeup artist, you do the skincare. Like someone will come with maybe their very basic skincare, but then you'll apply creams and serums and things like that to prep yeah. their skin for makeup, right? Most of my clients like take such incredible care of their skin that I don't even have to worry about it because they have their system and their things and you know, and so they come ready. But I always still do my my little bits of, of you know, where I put their prep on and moisturizer and eye cream and Things like that. So for sure, because that helps me when I'm doing makeup to sort of know what I have underneath it and how that's going to affect the products. Is there one cream that you think is like a good sort of like base for anyone who's going to do a glam look? Yeah. So for the glam look, I, I changed those products. Like I was using the Tatcha Dewey Skin Cream for a while. That worked really well with my technique. And then now I am using the Augustine's Bader because that like rich emollients, it really sort of when you use powders, when you're doing makeup and you use like translucent powders and things to set they grab really, really well onto that very emollient base. And so the result then is a really natural looking skin where you don't see the powder so much. And so that sort of helps when I'm doing makeup. I'm kind of honestly wishing that I did do more skincare myself because when I hit 37, everything started changing, losing brow hairs. I'm getting fine, getting deep lines here. And I'm just like, oh my God, like I literally, it was just never, it was a non-issue for me my whole life. And then I hit 37 and I started to see everything happening. It all falls apart. Yeah, it all falls apart. But you also get smarter and wiser and, and you know, and more comfortable in your own skin. So that makes up for it. But yeah, I am, I am going to have to start spending a little bit more time on my, on my own personal uh, skincare and stuff. You know what it's time for? Product of the week. I can't wait. I'm going to go first because I'm excited about this product. These are disposable masks by a brand. I hate it already. <laughs> by, by a brand called We Care. And I found them actually through a guy named Patrick's Instagram. They're basically, you know, like the blue Oh, of medical. the Instagram family? <laughs> you know, like the blue medical masks that are like the ones that, you know, the disposable ones that a lot of people are wearing? <laughs> 
I do. I do know what it's you're basically about. those, but they have tie dyed them, Period. and they're fun. <laughs> and I love them. You can buy them on Amazon. Nick, they're, are they individually wrapped in plastic? I didn't wrap them. Nick, good God, you're I as bad as them. you're as bad as Geep Apple's recycling partner. I don't know. I mean, like I wear it more than once, obviously, but I like them because they add a little pizzazz to your, you know, mask look. But yet if you, you know, get it wet or get it sweaty, I wear them when I work out that you don't have to really worry about like washing them or getting them, you know, moldy or stinky. And they're fun. They look fun and they like make your outfit a little bit brighter. Like I feel like everyone walking around in masks is very obviously responsible, but also very doomsday and feels very post-apocalyptic. And I think the tie-dye adds a little bit of like levity to the whole thing. And you can get a pack of 50 on Amazon for $24.98. And they are, again, called We Care, one word, disposable face masks. And they are, I mean, like, yeah, disclaimer, they are individually wrapped, which is fucked up. But um, as long as you wear them more than once and don't just use them as like a one and done kind of thing. Well, Nick, like we've said this entire time, I think mental health is maybe the priority issue here. So I'm glad that these masks make you happy. They do. They just like, they, they make me feel a little bit like less like the world is ending. Tie dyed masks feel like the world is a little less ending. ending. (laughs) If we find them for anywhere other than Amazon, let's try to put a link to that. Got it. My product of the week is from Chanel, my favorite indie beauty brand. It is their double-ended concealer brush. Now, normally, I don't like brushes with parts because why complicate something like a brush? But what I've realized, and I don't know why it's taken me 30 years to realize this, is that when you leave your makeup brushes just out in the open air, they collect particles of dust in your room, and that will end up then on your face when you use your brush next time. So do I care about it for every single brush that I use? No, because oftentimes I'll use like an eye makeup brush like once or twice and then like move on to another clean eye makeup brush. But with your concealer brushes, especially now if you're breaking out and you're covering up your zits, you don't want particulate from the air being shoved into your pores. So this is a double-ended concealer brush. Genius, perfect. One side is flat it's synthetic. It can pick up and like paint on the concealer. And then the other side is a little round fluffy head and you can blend the edges out with that. Each side is retractable and it also comes with a little cap. So it stays protected and it is $42 and you can get it at Chanel.com. Done. I think guys should pick one up. I think it's like a good, like one and done makeup tool for guys that are like need concealer. It's black. Yeah, I um I'm pro concealer. And I uh I don't have a brush right now, so maybe I'll get one. That's Great. it. We did it. We sure you guys did. have made it through another episode of Eyewitness Beauty. Do you hate um, it? Me? No, the guys. Oh, you guys. I hope you don't because we love making it and we love hearing from you. So we actually have a question for everyone which you can answer either on Instagram in our DMs or by emailing us at hi at Eyewitness Beauty. We're trying to figure out how we should monetize the podcast, not in order to become millionaires and zillionaires, but just to actually cover our costs in making and producing this podcast. There's two options we have. One is to start 
bringing on advertisers and sponsors and doing sponsored content, little ad spots. The other one is to create a Patreon where we would post certain content behind a paywall essentially. And, you know, it'd be $5 a month or something like that to access these exclusive stories. We wanted though, before we go one way or the other to hear from you guys and and see what you think. Would you rather us have little interludes with ads or pay something like $5, $7 a month to get this content? Because we love making it. We hope you love listening to it, but we just, we're bootstrapping this. And you guys that have made it this far in this episode are really the ones that we care about because you're, you're the writer dies. Yeah, honestly, forget the ones who dropped off at like minute 15. At top stories. Like, yeah. They didn't want to hear from them. Mario. We don't want them. <laughs> we don't want them. We want you. So we want you to tell us what you want us to do. On that note. On that note, thank you so much for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at eyewitnessbeauty or write to us at hi at eyewitnessbeauty.com. Eyewitness Beauty is produced by Jessamine Molly of Seaplane Armada. Our art is by Simon Abronowitz, and our theme music is by Danny Prezant. Additional research support by the wonderful Alicia Bansall. We'll be back next week with another brand new episode, so we'll talk to you then. Bye, honey pie. Bye, sweet thing.